Oh, hey, Matt. Where were you? I'm sorry, Z. I had a crisis while washing my hair. Oh, what happened? Well, turns out it was a rabbit. Oh, that's unfortunate. Do you want to talk about it? Well, honestly, I'd rather take it to Harry's practice, but until then, I guess you'll be... Acceptable company. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Sozie, what would you say the central coast of Australia and Egypt have in common? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Well, both full of rich history and culture. Sand. Yes. Plenty of sand. Yes. Uh, Uh, I rode camels in Port Macquarie. I know that's not central coast. That's pretty good, though. Yeah. I'm running out of things that connected to it, so that's pretty good. But what if I told you that there are hieroglyphics in the Central Coast? Ooh, very interesting. Not only that, it's the, I believe, the third biggest collection of hieroglyphics in the world. What? Yeah. Crazy. I know. How do we not know this? I don't know. Do they look like Egyptian hieroglyphics or is it more like Aboriginal hieroglyphics? See, that's the thing. No. In, in <laughs> fact, very close by there are Aboriginal carvings, but these are hieroglyphics in fact let me show you and get your reaction so i visited the site and check these out oh wow there's like anubis yeah a dog but a person dog half person half dog it's insane right it's actual hieroglyphics actual hieroglyphics so these are called the Chirong hieroglyphics Chirong being the suburb they're, they're located in mm-hmm. and my girlfriend told me about them and went for a brief bushwalk and and found these things and i i was blown away so there's a few theories as to why these exist. Okay. All right. The first one and the most interesting one is that it's believed that many, many years ago, an Egyptian ship shipwrecked off the coast of Australia, found its way ashore, and they wrote these hieroglyphics to tell the story. Apparently, it tells a story okay. about a, um, the crew being bitten by snakes and dying out in the bush. Okay. That makes sense. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people think this isn't true. Okay. The hieroglyphics aren't that old. They believe they're about 100 years old. Uh. Yeah, that's, yeah, you got, <laughs> you, you got your disappointment face on. So the leading theory is that in 1920, a lot of Australian soldiers are coming back from Egypt after the First World War. And there's all this excitement about um, discovering Tutankhamun's tomb. And so they've gone out into the bush and they've, they've done what they've learned and they've carved these hieroglyphics into the rock. Eh, less exciting. Less exciting. Not at all part of history or authentic. It's like a cheap Asian imitation version of <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, a brand. Look, it's, they're probably not genuine hieroglyphics, but, but they are in terms of they are actual hieroglyphics. But there's a few things that are off about them, like certain hieroglyphics from one time period and certain ones are from another time period. And it's all like kind of sloppily put together and not mm. written neatly like the ancient Egyptians would have done. Yeah. There's a lot of that sort of faff, you know, that, that kind of makes it not so authentic. But but still makes for a great photo. It was incredible. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. We were wandering through the bush and my partner knew that they were nearby. She hadn't been there for a long time, right? So we're walking, there's trails going out everywhere and, we're, and it's just this massive pile of rocks. It's incredible. Like it, it just... They're in this like massive structure of rocks and there's just these two walls next to each other just covered in hieroglyphics. It was insane. Yeah, I definitely would not expect to see that in the Central Coast. No, and the, and the funny thing is, like I said, there are Aboriginal carvings literally like less than a kilometer away. Mm. 
I had to Google it straight away to see the authenticity, um, which unfortunately was lacking. So if you want to see imitation hieroglyphics, go to the Central Coast. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. There wasn't even like a sign off the main road. No signs as direct people of how to get there. Why would there be there? Well, there were signs for like the Aboriginal rock paintings. Yeah, but they're real Aboriginal rock paintings. Yeah, but... From what you're telling me, this isn't an authentic part of history. It, look, Australian... It's like, oh, look at this Mona Lisa graffiti on the wall. It's not the Mona Lisa. It is, but it's not. Okay, I, I understand your point, but they're still over 100 years old. It's still a little bit of history. 100 years is not long. For Australia, it is. <laughs> no. Okay, well, look, I understand you probably wouldn't go trucking for the bush. Actually, you might. I'd look at them they, to be like, oh, that's cool, but it's not something to put a sign I feel like they'd put for. a sign up. Look, the Central Coast has beaches and hieroglyphs. That's, that's the two things. And I'm surprised there was no labels. Not even on the actual, like, rock face or, like, an arrow just saying this way to the glyphs. No, but what are they going to say? He's where some guy from the 1920s carved in some rock. Look, people are into all sorts of, like, cryptids and weird things. And, you know, I'm sure the signs point into, like, the Loch Ness Monster out in the... It's the same same sort of weird fascination with the unknown and the mystery of it. People people are really attracted to that. There's an article that I referenced that that talks about the... What do you call The Gosford glyphs. Gosford glyphs. They're cool, but I don't think that it's, like, a momentous part of our history. Not our history, but it's, yeah, it's something. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So, Matt, we used to work at Subway. We did. We did. That's how we met. Indeed it was how we met. (laughs) So I thought we could maybe do a segment on just things that maybe people don't think about or wouldn't think about when they eat at Subway. Like Subway Secrets. Subway Secrets. Do you still eat at Subway? After working there, significantly less. Like, I think I didn't eat there for like two years afterwards. I didn't either. Because it has a smell. There's a Subway (laughs) smell. There is. That I felt like when I worked there, I stopped smelling the smell. And I realized I must smell like Like Subway. Yeah. But now it's taken years. But now I can smell Subway again. Yeah, I didn't eat there for a long time afterwards. Just because of... Subway fatigue. Subway fatigue. And then I um, I think I started eating there every now and then if there was no other options. Not because it's a bad place to eat, but just no. your association with it. I eat it occasionally. Mm. But yeah, no, I, I definitely went off it for several years. What's your favorite sub? Uh, probably just the meatball double meat. Oh, meatball is so good. I forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, double meat, nice. I also love the steak and cheese. Yeah? Mm. You don't like it? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Do you know Subway sells hot chips? No. Now? Uh. Incredible. It's always changing though. I remember when we worked there, they'd add a new thing to the menu like every fortnight. Remember and the, the milkshakes? If they were the worst. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> if someone wanted to order a smoothie, I'd just like roll my eyes. It was so much effort for one item and the money was not worth it. I would rather put $7 into the till than make... Yourself, than yeah, make a smoothie. Yeah, make a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know if they still do them, but they, had, they have a separate oven now for hot chips so they're obviously not deep fried they're like no they're oven. Like air fried oven fried uh air fried okay but they um why I would you i wonder how they compare to like a mcdonald's hot they're chips they're not good at all yeah i did why, try them don't. and they're like they're like crispy on the outside and like half raw on the inside yeah. like they're not it doesn't compare so i guess i thought i'd maybe just ask some interview type questions about our time at subway 
and and get your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. So the first question is, do you remember or do you have any memory of like the worst sub you ever had to make? Well, there was there was always those individuals that got like meatball double meat and then wanted every salad on it. <laughs> and you, and you, you just know that it's not going to be pretty, right? You've cut it. And you know everything's falling apart <laughs> and you just wrap it and hope that they don't complain because they, like, they know what they've asked for. Yeah. And like as you're folding it, the bread is like ripping apart because <laughs> <laughs> it's so full. And, and meatballs are popping out <laughs> yeah. the sides. And you just hope they they are aware of the monstrosity they've asked you to create and then don't hold it against you. Yeah, that was funny. When they would want like extra stuff and you literally, you couldn't fold the bread. It was just an open piece of yeah, bread. Yeah, was, <laughs> the bread's not, not not made. The capacity of the bread is, yeah. not, <laughs> is not made for that amount of sub. Um, my worst sub is, I don't know. I don't think Subway does that anymore, but there used to be this, a sub called Seafood. Oh, <laughs> yes. It was like fake crab meat yeah, in mayonnaise. And it came in like a, just like in a bag. <laughs> a vacuum sealed and bag. It was, it was like rubbery. Yeah, it was like, it was like flakes of fake crab meat, like fish. Do you think it was real crab meat? Just no, like really... no. It's, it was like seafood flakes. And just like a bunch of seafood in a blender. Nondescript, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, we just mix it with mayonnaise. Yes, and that was it. Mayonnaise and crab meat. Oh, I want to dry ranch just talking about it. Anyway, this lady wanted just the seafood flakes and black olives. Oh. And that's... <laughs> And I remember making it being like, I can't believe this lady's going to eat this. Lady, please. You also have the weird people that are like, I want ham and tomato, then I want it toasted, and then I want you to put on salami. And then they like, just had <laughs> really particular ways of I want their subway done. I can understand why, because my next question is, do you have any sub hacks? Like anything that you could do to make the sub taste better? Because what brought that to mind is... um. When you were talking about that lady who had all this specific stuff, I loved putting onion and capsicum on the bread with cheese and then putting it in the oven because when the onion and the capsicum was charred, it was like pizza topping style. I The only thing I remember doing out of the ordinary was I'd put um, like a, a chicken fillet and one of the beef fillets on the sub at the same time. Double meat. Double meat. But different meats. But it was chicken meat. Another thing I got actually from a customer is... And this sounds really obvious, but on a pizza sub, sweet chili and barbecue sauce mm. was just, mm, I've stuck with that <laughs> ever since. Is there something that do you think would surprise people about Subway? Like anything about, you know, knowing what goes on behind the scenes, is there anything that would surprise people? So we both wanted to talk about the bread. because mm. the, the bread, bread is odd. The bread is odd. It is technically cooked fresh every day. But it comes frozen in doughy sausage. It's like a, a stick, a frozen stick. Literally, it's like a breadstick, but it's frozen. Yeah. And it's like the size of two sausages stuck next to each other. Yes. And every morning, whoever got there early would like defrost them <laughs> and put them in a, what was it proofer. called? A proofer, which was kind of just like a humidity chamber. Right. I don't really know how it worked. And then they froth up in yeah. the... In the, in the Proofer, then we put them in the oven to like actually look like bread. So that's the, probably the weirdest thing. Um, and the cookies were the same. Yeah, the cookies the come cookies, frozen. But, but they were actually delicious to eat frozen. <laughs> were they? Did you eat them frozen? Yeah. Huh. It's kind of like a frozen snack. 
I I found it odd how some vegetables did come fresh and you have to chop them up, like the tomatoes and the onion. Mm -hmm. But then other vegetables, like lettuce and carrots, came pre-chopped in plastic bags. So you just had to cut open the plastic bag and put it in a container. Speaking about chopping stuff, I I used to love the vegetable choppers we had in Subway. I wish I had them, especially (laughs) as a a tomato slicer. Yeah. It's literally just like a a multi-bladed thing and you put a tomato in it had a big handle and you you pushed the handle and it it pushed the tomato up against the blades and it just sliced the tomato you can go through dozens of tomatoes in no time at all we were known as i don't know if you recall we had a dream team us and a few of the other members were like oh yeah if we're working all together we've got a really smooth slick factory line going on i always kind of fantasized about them putting (laughs) together like an (laughs) all-star Because we were really good. We were, we were really, really efficient. Good. We were sandwich artists. Yeah. <laughs> so I just always thought about like an all-star subway crew of just getting all the greatest hits. Yes. And, and also to do like a lunch rush. Yes. Did, we would nail it. We would nail the lunch rush. Do you rush. think you can still do it? You can still do it. I would need a day to familiarize myself. I reckon it wouldn't take long. No, because I had a specialty. Well, your specialty was meats, I believe, right? <laughs> I don't know. You, in the dream team, you were the greeting, cutting the bread and putting the meat on it. You were the first guy. I was the introduction. Yeah. I was the face. <laughs> My specialty was the till. So ah, I'd be like doing the, the buttons The till was honestly the hardest part. Yeah. I feel like that would be <laughs> what I forgot. Yeah. So that's why I said I would need to familiarize myself because I need to know what screen all the menu items are on. But you reckon through muscle memory alone, you can get through like making a sub again? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get through that. And this has been like... 10 years or more since we've been at Subway. Mm. And I reckon, I reckon I could too. I reckon I'd still do a pretty good job. Because I still quasi-supervise when I watch the Subway people make <laughs> my sub when I go there. I remember there used to be like specific weights for the amount of vegetables we were meant to put on. <laughs> do you remember that? So we used to like have these trays. We measure out like how many grams of olives or how many grams of lettuce. And that was the appropriate amount <laughs> right. we were meant to put on a sub. Do you remember how many olives are meant to go on a foot-long sub? I'm going to guess yeah. eight. Eight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so four for a six inch. Right. It was going to be eight olives on a foot long, yeah. which, of course, people just want an olive paste when they want olives on their sub. Do you have any, like, favorite or least favorite customers I, that we served? I don't remember any specific customers. Um, Do you remember a spicy Italian man? I remember what he looks like, and he just got a, um, a pizza with nothing on it, right? So I loved spicy Italian man because he always wanted the same thing. And it was very easy to make. He just wanted, like, the meats, no salads. I don't think he got it heated up. I think he got it toasted. He did? Okay. I think so. And it was funny because our boss was, like, so into, like, pleasing the customer. And the customer is always right. And so he'd see this guy's car rolling in. And he'd be like, make it. Make the spicy Italian. (laughs) And by the time he walked in the door, it was ready to go. Spicy Italian man to go. Go, go. And he was a nice guy and he was in like tradey fluoros, but like very soft-spoken and polite. I well, he was nice. I'll tell you about a customer I had once, mm. bit of a tangent, but I was, um, I was one of the openers. So I was there early preparing the breads and we'd literally open the doors. It was like 6am and for, you know, normally people don't come in at 6am for a sub, but this guy did. And I remember being annoyed because he stopped me doing the work I had to do. Mm. And when he went to pay, he pulled out like a wad of $50 notes, like a wad. And he just gave me one. It's like, stick that in your pocket. <gasps> oh, he gave you a tip. $50 tip. Wow. $50 tip. 
I feel like he must have been a drug dealer or something. Well, but... made it worthwhile though, making that sub. Oh man, I remember it forever now. $50 tip. I bought everyone Maccas. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, my least favorite was this couple that used to come in every week and they would come and I would serve them, but they would just look at me like, we come here every week. Don't you know what we order? But I, I didn't have capacity. I was doing an internship. I was at uni. I was working at Subway six yeah, years. Look, spicy, spicy Italian man had an easy, easy sub. Really easy, easy sub, yeah. I'm not going to remember your random sub order. Like if it was a coffee, that's fine. It's like one thing to remember. But ingredients and stuff, I just don't have the capacity. So every week, and I, I would somewhat remember some of their order because they did come in every week, but I just wouldn't give them the satisfaction of, like, <laughs> like, hey, ma'am, how can I help you? Welcome yeah, to Subway. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, uh, we'll have the usual. Oh, sorry. You sure it was me that served you last yeah. time? <laughs> I'm going to use that in acceptable or not one day because I don't think you can expect someone to remember your usual. If they offer, yes. I, I think it's a tricky thing to like, how do you determine if, You've got a usual or not. You have to wait for the other person to be like, the usual mate. And yeah. And be like, yes. Yeah. Or be like, oh, well, are you having the same thing today or the blah, 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 the ham yes. sub? So the server has to be the one I to think initiate so. the usual. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for uh, taking that trip back down memory lane. Yeah. Bloody heck. I think we covered literally everything I remember about Subway. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you went to the movies, eh? Mm, recently. Okay. <laughs> seen a few movies <laughs> i have two actually now you mentioned it my intro was not the best but we're going to continue <laughs> okay um i recently went to see a uh, quiet place 2 at the cinemas which is um I, all i know is like it's kind of a scary movie yeah it's it's more of a thriller than a it's, it's got a few jump scares i suppose but it's mm. better than it's ilk that it comes from i think it's a pretty good movie cool um, this is obviously the sequel to a quiet place one um i want to watch the sequel because I, I did like the first one a lot and i'm not I'm not usually much of a scary movie kind of guy, but this one's done quite uniquely. So it's the concept is these aliens or monsters, but very aggressive, very dangerous things, uh, but they're blind. So okay. they, they can only hear. So basically the whole concept of the movie is they have to be very, very quiet. Mm. So they, um, you know, they have like soundproofing in their house. You know, when they walk, they've lined the streets with like sand. So they walk quietly and they use barefoot and they... You know, they have all these practices in place to keep the sound down because there's an opening scene in the first one where um, one of their kids has a toy, like robot, and they're walking through the bushes and the robot just starts going like, pew, pew, pew. Mm. and then instantly this phoenix comes out of the bushes and, and snatches the kid. <gasps> oh yeah, he died. Oh. So it's like, yeah, basically the whole, all of humanity surviving by just, you just got to find practices to stay quiet. And I thought it was done very well. How do they communicate with each other? Um, most of the time, it's kind of just hand gestures. But a lot of the survivors have found, like, you know, bunkers or basements or things that they've been able to soundproof and they can kind of whisper in there. Okay. Um, and it's the first one's really good. You know, it's, it's directed, I think, written by John Krasinski. Um, and oh, wow. Written by him as well. Yeah. You wouldn't think so. Why? He's a comedy actor. Well, yeah, but he's done a lot of serious things as well. I think he's actually really good. And it's got Emily Blunt. The first one's good. So I want to watch the second one. Um, which is the same sort of concept. It's just a continuation of the story. The first one ended without a resolution? Ah, uh, kind of. Okay. Um, the first one ended with them discovering the bad guy's weakness, which ended up being the deaf girl's hearing aids. They could use it to create a frequency which would make the bad guys like kind of open up their hearing canals and that was then he could shoot them. Mm. 
So they found a way to kill them, but it, it's still they're still living in an apocalyptic wasteland with how many of these things out there. Got it. So the father, John Krasinski's character, dies at the end of the first one. I think they kind of regret it. Because in this one, it starts off with a flashback to like day one of the outbreak where everyone's like kind of just like chilling and having a happy old day. And it cuts to like the present day. Um, and suddenly there's no John Krasinski and they very quickly introduced Cillian Murphy's character um, who kind of plays the alpha male role. In right. it now. And they so kind of look similar as well. So. I think, yeah, especially in this, he's got a beard and the post. I think they kind of regret killing off John Krasinski's character and they just wanted to introduce another male lead. <laughs> I don't think it's as good as the first one, but um, it's still pretty good. It's a worthy sequel. I've not watched it, but I didn't know that was the premise. And now knowing that, I'm into it. It's actually very cleverly done. Mm. It's not just... It has a few jump scares, but it, it's all very tense. Mm. Like, there's a scene in the first one. Emily Blunt's character is pregnant, and they want to have a baby in the middle of a post-apocalyptic universe, which is just dumb. So she's giving birth. And in she's, silence? She's trying to. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one of these monsters walking around. And they kind of set up this scene where there's a staircase that leads down to the basement where they've got like a, a hardy hole set up for her. And she's going through labor and her kids are outside doing crazy shit and she's got to go down the stairs now. And they set up early on that there's a nail sticking out of one of the planks as she's walking down the stairs barefoot. <gasps> and, you know, this monster is walking around and she's trying to be silent. She's walking down while still going to labor and she steps on this nail. And then she just has to like keep silent. And it's just... <laughs> It's that sort of stuff. Yeah. Right? So it's well done. I think it's a very clever movie. I look forward to seeing it. Is the first one on Netflix or anything? I think it is. Okay, cool. I think it is. So that's, uh, yeah, I'd probably give it a eight. Oh, that's pretty good. Eight out of ten. Yeah, it's, it's good. Like, it's not a bad movie. I have some issues with it. One of my issues with the movie is that they, they create scenarios just because they need something to happen. Um, a few other grievances, but it's fine. You know, it's a good movie. The end. Cool. I like it. Thanks for sharing. My pleasure. <laughs> it's time for uh, Acceptable or not. not. This first one comes from Terry from Noosa. Terry, thank you for writing in, Terry. Thank you. And she said, uh, acceptable or not, charging your kids board or rent when they turn 18. Uh, I think acceptable. Ooh, interesting. I think that um, it's hard out there it's hard when you move out of home it's i think a lot of things it teaches budgeting mm -hmm. it teaches you how to deal with money it, it teaches you about bills it teaches you about you gotta pay weekly it, it, it's it's less of a, a shock when you enter the real world and you gotta pay for your rent or your mortgage so you think this is purely an exercise to teach them i i think so i think if it can be viewed as that then it's fair I think paying your parents back for something, especially as you become an adult and you probably honestly pay your way less in terms of chores and, and spending time at the household, I think a monetary contribution is fine, acceptable. Okay, interesting. What are you scoffing about? What, 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 what? Mm, well, you're saying it like, oh, I, you know, I owe all this, so I, I should pay it back. Whereas I feel like people aren't given a choice. It's the parent's choice to have that child and they know that that child is going to live in their home. To put a deadline on it, oh, as soon as you turn 18, you now have to pay X amount. I don't understand how that's fair, particularly if they're like studying, you know, students are poor, they're, they're struggling, they are time poor. I think as soon as you turn 18, to have that on them is not acceptable. Yeah, but look, board is often 
not nearly as much as mortgages. I don't know how much people charge for board. Mm. I was charged 50 bucks a week, maybe. It, it was nothing compared to the hundreds I pay of rent a week. Like, that money isn't really helping the parents out either. It's, I think it's meant to be a, another teaching tool. Teaching I think them some responsibility. If it's truly a teaching tool, then have a, like a kitty where you take the board and you put it in, and when they move out, you can give it back to them. Look, it, yeah, you're right. It is the parents' decision to have kids. But, I mean, the parents still sacrifice a lot. And paying the parents back for their... It's it just a feeling of gratitude. But, okay, let's say your kid works in fast food at a subway, for instance, and they're not making that much money. Yeah. And they have to go to uni as well, so they don't have that many hours. And then, with okay. that very little money, they are also... Well, what if board's a percentage of the wage? What's an acceptable percentage? 10%. But why would you not want your kid to save up as much as they can to help better prepare them for the real world? Why are you taking away from helping them in the future? I, I, I don't would understand argue that, that you are helping them in the future because you're teaching them to be responsible. Mm. Look, whether or not the parents keep the money, spend the money themselves, what have you, is up to the parents. But I think the the action of paying board to live at home once you become an adult, in air quotes, is, I think it's character building. Mm. I think maybe it's acceptable, maybe, if after they've finished studying and they are like, yeah, well established in their like 30. Uh, yeah, I'm not talking about like someone who's doing their PhD. <laughs> like let's just say a regular, regular pre-uni degree, yeah, goes into the workforce and maybe has been in the workforce for like a year, has established themselves. They're not like questioning the stability of their job. Then maybe... Okay, but by then they'd probably think about moving out, right? Mm, I stayed at home for a long time just to save money. But my parents never made me pay board. Maybe that's why... You have this viewpoint. But it helped me a lot, though. Well, I paid board, and I, I don't feel like it took away from me. I don't think it didn't help me. I don't necessarily feel like it helped me either, but I did, like, mm. I don't look back at it and, and think that I hated paying board. I think if we have any parents listening, they'll think it's acceptable. <laughs> I, I get why people would do it. I just would be much slower to do it. Only if my kid was like, so super lazy and like spending their money willy-nilly okay so the way you draw the line is if they're if they're trying to make something of their life and they're improving themselves and they're still studying and they're they're working hard then you're going to continue supporting them correct without expecting anything in return yes if but, they but are by taking... supporting them i'm not like buying their clothes for them and stuff i'm providing them with shelter and food and not asking them to pay me for that Right? That's the basic provision for your children. So if the child was taking advantage of this kindness, mm. that is when you would ask for monetary contributions. I think so, yes. If I felt like they didn't know the value of a dollar or needed those lessons learned. So is your issue that it, it's a time thing? Like the fact that it's 18 years old or the fact that you're asking for board at all? If, like at what point do you, do you then start charging board? What, what if they are 30 years old? still living at home, as some people do. Um, I would say that as long as they were like respectful of my home rules, if I had any, I would allow them to stay. I'd, I'd ask them if they were sure that they didn't want to move out, you know, have for you that freedom. About, have you been thinking about uh, leaving 40-year-old son? But like rent's expensive. Rent is expensive. And I, if they wanted to stay home with me, um, I would maybe ask for like, oh, can you cook dinner on Thursdays? Something like that. 
Okay, so an you, effort thing rather than a money thing. See, that's my point as well because as they get older, they'll probably have less effort. I imagine there's a point between eighteen and like twenty-eight where the kid is just not going to be home, not interacting, not cooking, not cleaning, not helping. But if they are twenty-eight and not doing any of that stuff and have like a solid job, that's when I would ask for that stuff. Right. Okay. Because they're more in a position to be able to provide it, whereas when you're young, you're not. So where are you falling into this acceptable or not category then? Because you're kind of in the middle. Depending on the circumstances, it's acceptable or not. As soon as they turn 18, if that's a thing, like, oh, you're an adult now, you have to start paying board and rent. No, not acceptable. Mm, that's fair. And and the intention behind it. If it is to teach them a lesson, if it is to help them. Prepare them for adulthood. Prepare them. Give them back the money when they move out. I don't know. That's just me. Oh, that's fair. I see your point of view. And, and I think you're right. It does depend on the... Like you said, the intention. So it's a hard thing to to label now. I think if it's if it's got to be acceptable or not, it's then it's. I still think it's acceptable. Okay. And you? I, I would say generally speaking, if I had to choose one or the other, no. Okay. Okay. Someone didn't pay board growing up. The <laughs> they did not. No. <laughs> okay. Next one. Next one. All right. So you know how I'm not into housework and chores and stuff. Sure. I don't excel in this area. Um, <laughs> so, so when it's my turn to wash the dishes uh. and I'm just like, can't be bothered. Sometimes I say, oh, I'll just, I'll just let it soak in the sink. You know, oh, yeah. the future, future Z, future Matt can deal with that. Oh, yeah. So my question is, what is the like acceptable time frame to let something <laughs> soak in the sink uh. before actually like doing something about yeah. it? I'm going to say two statements, two okay. conflicting statements. Yes. I think the acceptable time frame should be 24 hours. Mm-hmm. My time frame is significantly longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Got it. What's your, like, what's your personal acceptable time frame? Do you mean what have I allowed or what I would like as my time frame? What you're comfortable with. Like, not when you, like, hate yourself, after, <laughs> but when you're like, oh, this is still fine. Uh, I'd probably say like probably like three days. Three days. Okay, cool. But no, that's. I have reached almost a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you and I are similar in that sense. <laughs> um, I think acceptable a day and a half. So what's that? Thirty six hours. I'll tell you how I justify it. Yeah. So I've got like Tupperware containers and it's stained. Mm. So I'll fill it with soapy water mm. and then the next day I'll tip it out and refill it. So I'm like re-soaking restarting the system oh yeah yeah and yeah. then when it does come time to do the dishes i think that helps the process yeah letting it soak helps <laughs> it, no it, it does 100 that rice cookers you let that bastard soak way easier to clean <laughs> except not for a week because rice cookers start to smell oh yeah there's a there's a smell to rice in water that's been sitting there for a week <laughs> good to know <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, talking about like standard stuff, like a pasta sauce or something. Uh, I think for me, I could let it go for two days, 48 hours, but the acceptable period is 36. But the ideal is 12. 12 hours. Yeah. So like, okay, I can't be bothered doing it tonight, but I'll do it in the morning. Or I can't be bothered doing it this morning. You wash your dishes like in the morning before work? I work here. I work next to my kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Not all of us can no, do that. No, no. I wouldn't wash dishes in the morning. No way. That's mm. a, that's an evening job. That's like that's like a, a job where I can do, which feels annoying, but it's actually not too bad because you can wash dishes in like five minutes. Mm, and, mm. Then, and, then I, and then I feel accomplished mm. and I can have ice cream. But I'm like, 
how I do dishes is when I'm finished cooking, I like to clean up whatever I can. Normally, if I'm making like a curry dish with another pot, everything's washed but the rice cooker by by the time I'm finished. I cook, I clean everything straight away, mm. except for the rice cooker, which stays for another week. Yeah, <laughs> soaking. Until I'm about to cook again. I'm like, I need that rice cooker mm. again. <laughs> Out of necessity, you wash it. <laughs> yeah. So we would love to hear, what do you think? What is your kind of acceptable time frame to let something soak? Yeah, and have you, have you realized something new about Z and I that you just, <laughs> we've lost respect in your eyes? <laughs> Disgusting slobs. Yeah. Um, let us know on our Instagram page at Acceptable Company. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for tuning in once again. Uh, we've had a great time. We have. As always, some good conversations. Um, let us know what you thought or if you have any any opinions or views on anything we've talked about. We always like hearing from you guys. Hope to hear from you soon and catch you next time. See ya. <laughs>